three, two, one. Hello and thanks for joining us on our first broadcast of 2022. My name is Jason Belcher. I'm a military veteran, small business owner, and proud Kentucky Democrat. Today we're going to be talking about an education bill that's making its way through the Kentucky legislature. And I want to start by just talking a little bit about what the bill is or what it purports to be and what it really is. It's available on the Kentucky uh, on the website for the uh, Legislative Research Commission, so you can go and check this out. It's currently called Bill Request 60, and as the bill itself says, it opens with a line, say, quote, an act relating to public education and declaring an emergency. While I'll agree with the authors of the bill, there are plenty of emergencies facing our education system. Unfortunately, this piece of legislation doesn't address any of them. What it does do is purport to restrict and ban the, the teaching of certain types of material in the classrooms in the state of Kentucky. And, and I'll give you an example. And again, this is straight from the legislation. It says, quote, A school board, council, or public charter school shall not include or promote any of the following concepts as part of a course of instruction, or allow a school council, teacher, or other employee of a school district or public charter to use supplemental instructional materials that include or promote any of the following concepts. Now there's a whole list of, of different concepts, but I'll, I'll, the first one is probably the most, most interesting one, and I'll start with that one. The first concept that they list as prohibited is, quote, one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. And that's on line 10, page 2, bill request 60. You can look it up online if you want to double check me. Well, I don't think anybody in the state of Kentucky would want to promote the idea that one race or sex is superior to others. I don't think, in fact, I know Democrats don't want to promote that. Republicans don't want to promote that. Most most of the people in the state of Kentucky don't want to promote that. That's not a popular idea. I acknowledge that there are fringe groups out there who do think that and who do want to promote that, but we're talking about a tiny fraction of the population. I know they're very vocal, but they're also a very small amount, a very small amount numerically. Most people do not want to promote an idea like that. We simply don't. So why would legislators feel it necessary to author a bill which prohibits not just promoting, but and this is the key part, include. See, that's, that's the problem with the bill. No one wants to promote ideas like this. But to not to be able to include that idea causes a lot of problems. Ostensibly, the critics of the bill claim that the purpose of the legislation is to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory in the state of Kentucky. Well, good news for the opponent, for the advocates of the bill, it's already not being taught in the state of Kentucky. It isn't taught in elementary school. It isn't taught in high school. It isn't taught in middle school. College is a separate animal because critical race theory is itself a, a postgraduate level theory. So colleges do address that issue, do address that topic, uh, but it's not taught in secondary schools. However, when we're looking, when critics of this bill call it an anti-CRT bill, they're making the mistake of conceding to the authors that this is, in fact, an education bill. It's not. It's not an education bill. This is a censorship bill. What this bill does is censor what can be taught in classrooms by teachers or school employees, or even more importantly, 
the material that they're using. That's very broad. That's a very broad type of censorship. And I know that some of the opponents, or rather some of the supporters of the bill out there are probably smiling to themselves right now and thinking, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's talking about a First Amendment issue. I am. I do think this bill violates the First Amendment. And I know they're granted to themselves thinking, boy, this guy, he doesn't get it. He's never heard of the Garcetti case in 2006, which ruled that public sector employees are not entitled to First Amendment protections. Therefore, the First Amendment argument will not apply to this bill and is perfectly valid. It doesn't violate the First Amendment. Well, if they'd bothered to look a little more closely at the Garcetti case, they would have noticed that the majority opinion written by Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote that this decision was that this decision would not decide whether or not to apply a case involving speech related to scholarship or teaching. That's in the majority decision. There is a scholarship and teaching exception to the Garcetti case. Well, in other words, it doesn't mean that just because teachers are public sector employees, it doesn't mean that the Garcetti case automatically grants this piece of legislation an exemption to the First Amendment, meaning that it's legal. So I want to unpack that a little bit. I know that's a little bit of legalese, and I didn't want to get into that too much, but it is necessary and relevant to the topic. So what we're talking about here when we talk about censorship is a prior restraint. Prior restraint means content-based restriction. In other words, the government cannot restrict the expression of written, spoken, or other otherwise expressed ideas simply because of the content of the uh, ideas being expressed. They can't do that. The Supreme Court has ruled on numerous cases. There are several. Let me see if I can find a quick example here. Um, there are some specifically that are related to the, the first to schools. Uh, the first example was in 1931 in Near versus Minnesota, and that's when the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a Minnesota public nuisance law, which barred the publication of malicious, malicious or defamatory materials. Obviously, the people who who considered the materials to be, or who thought they were the target of those materials, were the ones who wanted the law passed. And the Supreme Court says, "No, you can't do that." And there's there's a lot of precedents after that upholding the right uh, of free speech. It's been given a very very broad latitude in the United States. So the idea that a First Amendment exemption would be would exist uh, for this law simply because of the Garcetti case is inaccurate. This law specifically attempts to restrict free speech in classrooms by prohibiting teachers from talking about materials that include, as one of the ideas, any material that promotes the idea or includes the idea that one race or sex is superior to another. So if I were a teacher and I were teaching, let's say, World War II history or literature or books that admit have written about World War II, and a student says to me, what, where did this Nazi regime come from? How, how did Germany become the Third Reich? What was that all about? How did it happen? I don't understand. Well, according to the word, wording in this law, I can't answer them. I can't tell them. I can't tell them that the Nazi regime, what the Nazi regime was, because the Nazi regime specifically believed that their race was superior to all other races. Simply by answering their question, I'm not promoting Nazism. I'm not advocating for the belief system that the, Nazi, the Nazis embraced and expressed. I'm simply telling them what it was. In other words, I'm just including the material because it's relevant to the question the student asked. But according to the, the legislators in the state of Kentucky who wrote 
build request 60, I can't do that. I can't do that. And it's not just World War II. The Civil War would be in the same boat. How are we going to how can any curriculum explain what slavery was if we can't include the concept of one race being superior to the other? We're not promoting it. No one's promoting it. Except the fringe groups. The schools aren't promoting it. The academic literature and books on it are not promoting it. They're simply telling you what it was. So what this bill essentially does is make teaching the past a thought crime or more specifically an actual crime that would violate this bill. And that should really worry people. That should really that should scare the daylights out of people. And I understand that the, the supporters of the bill are, are also ready to respond by saying that that type of assessment is reactionary. It's typical woke liberal uh, leftist reaction. Understand that those terms are just dog whistles. Those are dog whistles designed to distract you from the fact that this is a censorship bill. The advocates who use those kind of terms to try to distract you or draw your attention away from accurate criticisms of the legislation, they want you to just dismiss all arguments as woke and to go along with their censorship under the guise of promoting education. But it doesn't promote education. It harms education. It actually makes education more difficult, if not nearly impossible, for folks who teach either literature or history. And it's not just history, by the way. I want to make that clear. There's plenty of works of literature that address many of the ideas that are included on their banned list. There are others, and you can. There's there's an entire list. I think there's there's twelve. There's twelve different ones. I mean, in the last one, you cannot include or promote anything that promotes division between or resentment of a race, sex, religion, nonviolent political affiliation. I'm reading from the bill here. Uh, social class or class of people. Well, there's plenty of works of literature that portray things like that happening so that we can have a larger awareness of the human impact of the beliefs that people hold and what happens when they apply them against each other. But this but this bill would, would outlaw that, and it says that any employee that violates it will be subjected to disciplinary action. So we want to discipline teachers for teaching literature. We want to punish school employees for teaching history. That's what this bill does, and, and it should astonish anyone that that's the case. Now, when it comes to the motivations, you know, I can't, I don't know what's in the mind of someone else. I can't discern what's going on in the mind of, of another person. I can't do that, and I'm not going to try. But what I can do is, is read the language of the legislation and understand the impact that it would have here in the state of Kentucky. I'm a parent. I have children in the school system. And they would be affected by this legislation, the same as uh, all the other parents out there in Kentucky. And it bothers me that the state legislator thinks they have the right, they think they have the authority to censor the past, to censor not just one work of literature, not just one book of history, but basically hundreds of them, maybe even the entire topic, will be off limits. I don't think that's the real intent behind this bill. And I, again, I'm just speculating when it comes to their motivations. I don't really think that's what they want. I don't really think the authors of this bill want to ban history or they want to ban literature. But I do think they're putting political expediency above the interests of the, the children and the students of the state of Kentucky. I know there's a lot of strong feelings out there, not just in Kentucky, but elsewhere, on the topic of critical race theory. I know a lot of people have strong feelings about it, and they feel strongly that they have to oppose it in all forms, that's fine. They can feel that way. 
They can oppose critical race theory if they want. That's fine. I'm not talking about their opinion or their ability to hold their opinion. We're talking about what's taught in a school curriculum to students. And we're talking about the First Amendment right of teachers and of those who wrote the curriculum material to have their expression not censored by the government, which clearly is a violation of the First Amendment. There may be other grounds for contesting this bill in federal court should it ever pass. It has, it has not passed as of, as of yet. It's just a, a bill request. But should it ever become law, there may be other grounds upon which to oppose it. But I think the primary one is First Amendment. The First Amendment is number one in the Constitution for a reason. Because it's the most important right protected by the Constitution and by the Bill of Rights. The, the Constitution does not restrain, or spends most of its effort restraining what the government can do. In other words, the Bill of Rights restrains government action. The government cannot censor. The government cannot infringe. State and federal, as has been ruled by Supreme Court precedent. The government can't do that. Can individuals or private companies engage in, in forms of censorship? Yes, they can, legally. Whether or not they should, or whether or not it's in their best interest, or whether or not it's good for society is a separate argument. Legally, yes, they can. Because the First Amendment doesn't restrain them. It restrains only government. And that's what this bill violates. The First Amendment protects the rights of citizens to express their ideas and beliefs without interference from the government, without infringement from the government, without government bans. And that's exactly what this bill is. It's a government ban. It's a ban on ideas that the authors don't want to hear. Not only don't they want to hear them, which would be fine, by the way, if you didn't want to hear something. You don't have to read a book or listen to someone if you're as a private citizen. You can just say, I don't want to hear that. Okay, fair enough. That's your right. They're not saying simply that. They're saying they don't want anyone else to be able to say it or hear it either. And that is illegal. That is unconstitutional. That is contrary to the spirit of liberty and freedom upon which this country is founded. Without free expression, without the ability to express ideas, beliefs, even if they're wrong, or even if sometimes they're bad, and sometimes they are, better to get that into daylight so we can deal with it than to keep it hidden or out of view so that it would simply fester and grow unchecked or do more damage. So the First Amendment is first because it is the most important freedom we enjoy. The most important freedom we enjoy. It's not the only one. It's not the only important freedom that we enjoy. All of our freedoms are important. But free speech is the most important. And that is what this bill tries to deny teachers and schools and the authors of curriculum material for students. It also affects, obviously, the students themselves, because they have a right to hear what other people have said. They have a right to hear about the past. They have a right to hear about what happened before they were born. They have a right to read literature that was written before they were born, or, or now. It doesn't matter. They have a First Amendment right, because that's part of their free expression. It, it's not possible to have a country where free expression exists, but only for a certain portion of the population. That's not free expression. It either exists for everyone or it exists for no one. And I understand 
the Garcetti case carves out resentment, which, by the way, I'm again referring to the Supreme Court decision of Garcetti in 2006, which did carve out an, an exception to that First Amendment principle for, for public employees. I understand that. But there is a scholarship and teaching exemption even by those who voted in favor of the majority on that case. So what I'm saying is, remember when you when you write your, or contact your legislator or, or speaker, talk about this in public, it's a, it's, it is an education issue, but it's not an education bill. It's a censorship bill. And I would hope, and I, I truly believe, that most people in the state of Kentucky, it doesn't matter if they're Democrat or Republican, are against that. They're especially against government censorship. For those who, think, who, those who say, well, they oppose the nanny state, here's your big chance to prove it. Because what, what could be more nanny than a state trying to dictate what teachers are allowed to say or not say, even if, it, even if the things they're talking about ha- actually happened in the past? That doesn't matter to the authors of this bill. We just don't want you to say it. Now, I'd like to take just a second and address some, some reasonable uh, responses and objections from, from critics, of the, of the, uh, critics of the critics, if you will. Uh, from my conservative friends, or who I'm talking about mostly, who'll say, well... How come you support, how come you oppose censorship by the state legislators when it comes to school curriculum, but you're perfectly fine with, for example, monuments or statues being removed from different public spaces across mostly the South, but not only? How come it's okay to do one and not the other? Isn't that the same thing? So what they're saying is, isn't it the same thing? Aren't we also censoring history by removing monuments or statues? And so that, that's a reasonable question, and let, let's give it a reasonable answer. Instead of just dismissing it or, or engaging in any kind of name-calling or insulting, let's give that a reasonable response. It's a reasonable question. And there's, there's a couple of very important differences between the act of removing monuments from public spaces and a state legislature using a state bill to censor teachers. First of all, Monuments and statues were erected by the communities. They were not dictated by the government. They were put up by by private citizens. They were put up with the, the support of local municipalities. They were chosen to put. They were put there. And people who live nearby or may be visiting have a choice as to whether or not they want to visit those. They can choose not to. They can choose to ignore them. They can choose to just keep on driving. They don't have to stop and look at any of them. So there's a there's a choice. But this, the other situation with the legislative bill request 60, they're taking choice away from someone. They're taking choice away from teachers, away from school employees, away from all the authors and writers and researchers and scholars who put their, pour their life work into creating educational curriculum for students. They're taking choice away from them. So one is an exercise of choice. The other is the denial of choice. And that's a huge difference. And by the way, I hope that folks who are history enthusiasts on the topic of history, I hope the folks who are enthusiastic about history will dig a little deeper into the actual backstory of most of the monuments, uh, especially in the South. Because what you'll find is that most of those were put up a long time after the Civil War ended. So even if they're Civil War monuments, even if they depict a representation of someone or a person or persons who fought in the Civil War, or were affected by it. They weren't put up by the people who were in the Civil War themselves. Most of those monuments were put up in the 1920s or later. So that's that's 60 years after the Civil War is over. And so a, an argument can definitely be made, and I think this is actually the case in a lot of instances, 
The monuments themselves are a revision of history. Removing the monuments isn't revising history. The people who put the monuments up were revising history. It's just been so long, so much time has passed, and they've been there for they've been there for so long that a lot of folks were taught that the statues themselves reflected an accurate version of history, and that's not the case. And that's an ongoing debate. That's an ongoing process of, of study and scholarship, and I hope folks will take the time to educate themselves on that. It's not for me to simply say uh, the outcome or the conclusion is one way or the other. I believe that to be the case based on the historical evidence that's available. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go into all of that today. But the key point is, no, it's not the same thing. Taking down a monument is not the same as teaching or not teaching a certain topic in a school curriculum. They're very different. There's a First Amendment right to express ideas that the state legislature is trying to take away. Take away from teachers. Monuments can be moved. They can be, there's a, there's a free choice component there. So moving monuments is the exercise of, of free choice. The, the state bill is taking it away. And I just wanted to address that because it's a reasonable concern. It's not a, this is not a, a, a really, this is really not a partisan issue. Censorship has been a problem. Uh, it's been a challenge, I should say, since our country was founded. There have been challenges to, to free speech laws almost from the beginning. Almost from the beginning. And the founders, in their wisdom, foresaw that. They foresaw that there would be local interests or state interests, or even federal, who would try to use the power of the government to ban thought or to ban speech. And you know why they thought that? They thought that because they suffered from that. They were afraid that authority would use their power to ban speech and thought and ideas because they lived it. That's what the King of England did to our founders. That's their, their regime not only allowed government censorship, it enthusiastically encouraged it. Ideas that were deemed contrary to good order and discipline or harmful or slanderous to the king, even if they were true, they were still banned. So our founders understood very well that the, the consequences of censorship, it allows authority to use the power of force to hide their own misdeeds. That's what it allows. And that, and that is true for, for anyone. If you have the authority to silence your critics, then you have the ability to hide evidence of your own wrongdoings. And that's why it's so important that free speech be given a very wide interpretation. And indeed, the, the court system, specifically the Supreme Court, has provided a very wide, very broad, very expansive notion of free speech in the United States. And it is so broad and so expansive that it prohibits attempts like Bill Request 60, which want to ban the teaching of certain ideas in the classroom. The bill itself does not mention critical race theory. I acknowledge that. You can read through it. I didn't see it. If I missed it, I'll, I'll admit it. I read through the bill. I didn't see the phrase the critical race theory anywhere in the bill. But it's, it certainly sounds like that that's what the authors are trying to prohibit. Even though, again, it's not being taught. It sounds like that's what they're trying to prohibit. So I hope that folks will, will contact their legislator, will, will speak out in public or on their own platforms, however you want to do it, to organize against Bill Request 60 from ever becoming law in the state of Kentucky because it would be detrimental 
to the education and the future of an entire generation of Kentuckians. And it's not just happening in Kentucky. This effort has been mirrored in at least 20 states, maybe 25, depending on how you, how you count the legislation. So that's almost half. So almost half the states in the country are trying to do something similar. So it would not be an exaggeration to call these efforts a systematic attack on free speech, a systematic attack on scholarship, study of the past, on literature, on free expression, on the very liberties that this country was founded to uphold. These efforts are not just detrimental to the future education of students, they are contrary to the principles upon which the United States was founded. They are, in fact, un-American bills. They're un-American to the core. So when supporters tell you that they're upholding the law and they're being patriotic, they're absolutely wrong. They're doing the opposite of that. They're violating the Constitution. They're trampling the principles that are sacred to the United States. They are not upholding them. They are trampling them. And it's up to us as citizens to put a stop to it peacefully by using the power of persuasion and public pressure to convince lawmakers to pull this bill or to vote against it. If it does become law, it's our job to continue that pressure to persuade the court system to invalidate the law on First Amendment grounds, and I, which I think they will. I think that would happen. If it ever became law, I think that that would happen. And since this week is MLK Junior Day, I thought we should take a moment and just think about the fact that were this bill to become law in the state of Kentucky, students in the state of Kentucky, at least in the, the secondary schools, teachers would not be able to teach any of the writings or sharing of the speeches that Martin Luther King Jr. actually gave. They would be banned. Under this legislation, most of his works would be deemed inappropriate for classroom instruction. So think about that. And he's just the first of many. The first of many other writers and thinkers who have provided enormous amounts of influence on the trajectory of the country, for the better, by the way, who would not be allowed to be taught in Kentucky schools under this piece of legislation. That's what's at stake. That's really what's at stake. So we have a lot of work to do in this election year, and this is just one issue. We're going to get to a whole bunch of others. I thank you for listening. I hope everyone has a great day, and take care. Yeah,